0: welcome to the surrender podcast surrender is a collective of christian groups and organizations from across australia we work in unity to share jesus call to seek his kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven we create spaces for the sharing of stories that motivate support and equip people to love their neighbor share good news and live justly both locally and globally please note Surrender provides spaces for conversation and storytelling and does not necessarily endorse the personal views of any one presenter. Mick Duncan has lived and worked in the slums of Manila, the inner city of Melbourne and in South Auckland. With academic degrees combined with street degrees, Mick brings his speaking and teaching discernment, wisdom and tools, all for the trade of mission and ministry. This is Mick Duncan's Bible study entitled, I want to be like Jesus, yeah right. This is the third session of Mick Duncan's Bible study entitled Subversive Discipleship, Loving Our Enemy.
1: Okay friends, thank you so much again um, for coming. So our topic this morning is love of enemy. Um, So I have a text on my new cell phone. So let me just read this, um, these words from Jesus where he says in Matthew 5, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And, you know, there it's letting um, the punishment fit the crime. It was there's an equality thing going on there, not an oppressive thing. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also, And if anyone wants to sue you, take your coat and give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, also go the second. Uh, Give to anyone who begs you, and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So, are we all good?
0: I'm just going to unplug something. Oh.
1: Oh, we've, got, we've lost the power again. Yeah. It oh. uh,
0: keeps tripping in the system. Oh, and yeah. It, it, the bit that keeps us safe keeps turning it off. So oh. We'll keep working
1: on it. Oh, no, well, maybe we can forget it.
0: We need it for the rest of oh, the Oh, we do, anyways. yeah,
1: that's right, yeah, okay. Um, so if I speak like this, you're still hearing this wonderful Kiwi voice, aren't you? Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I... I personally don't know where you are up to. Um, I just want to start very general and talk a little bit about violence. You know, I I don't think it's clear cut that you can adopt a pacifist position from scripture. I thought I'd just start lightly and gently. Um, But I do want to get to a working definition of pacifism soon. But, you know, when I read scripture, you know, there, there are passages in, in the Pentateuch, for example, that talk about how one conducts oneself in warfare. So it's not a straight prohibition on warfare. There is more, how can you be, how, yeah, how do you conduct yourself in warfare? So we read that in Pentateuch. I, I'm just wanting to be faithful to scripture here. And then, for example, um, if you go to the Joshua narratives, here we go again. Uh, if you go to Joshua, I mean, look, people, I don't know when you last read how the people of Israel crossed the Jordan and went into the so called promised land, but war was involved. And you cannot divorce war from the actions of God in the Hebrew scriptures, you just simply cannot if you're just allowing scripture to speak for itself. Um, and then, for example, you go to Ya'el. Now, I wrote a, uh, an article and a book around Ya'el, and I wrote a commentary on the book of Judges. And, you know, she was this woman who was caught in a very complex situation. and And there was the commanding officer of an opposing force who had to flee the front lines because he was his and his forces were being defeated so he landed at her kind of tent doorsteps and being the very hospitable woman that she was she welcomed him into her tent and she opened her tool bag of hospitality and 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 drew out you know a bed a shelter and drink and a hammer and a nail and then when he was so exhausted from fighting and running and fleeing she um, placed the nail next to his temple and drove it through his head. And scripture says of this woman, she is the most blessed of women. I don't know what you learned from that.
0: <laughs> Never go
1: camping with a woman. <laughs> I try. <laughs> um. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, some of us here, we love to read the book of Esther. And, and Esther is a truly complicated piece of scripture. And you know, Esther, she gets to the end and she actually persuades her husband to destroy, kill and annihilate 75,000 people. Now this is all in in the book of Esther. And then we go into the New Testament, for example, and Moses and Joshua and Yael are not repudiate that you know they're not they're not castigated they're not jesus does make comment about moses and about and and hebrews makes comment about joshua and so on so scripture is a complicated book isn't it yeah so where do we go from here i mean What about you? Are there some people that you can't bear to love? You know? Um, are, Are there some people that, where you think of them, rage springs up? I mean, are there some people for you, where you have a desire to hate? I mean, you think, for example, of people in this country and my country who spew out racial violence. I mean, do you love those people? You think of um, those who sexually violate children in Australia. I mean, do you really love them? I mean, when you think of, for example, um, terrorists. I mean, what are we to do in the face of ISIS? Let's be honest here. They are evil. What they are committing is radical evil. And and how would you really feel about if you discovered that there was a person um, uh, down the street, a man who was on a sexual predator list, and he lived down further down your house? I mean, we talk about love of enemy. But what is that love of enemy? I mean, is it for you? I mean, are are we to drum up false feelings about the people that I've just alluded to? Is it a matter of gritting our teeth? Is it a matter of manufacturing something, faking something, hyping something up? I mean, what does love of enemy look like in the face of? some of the realities that i've just talked to you about have a chat with the person next to you what does this mean go to it what what does love of enemy look like now we're not in that scripture that i read before before the love of enemy there was that text on uh, do not resist an evil person. And, you know, the whole thing about turning the other cheek. Now, I don't know if you've done work on this. Um, I have. So I'd like to share with you where I'm up to on that, on that text. So, so when Jesus says, um, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, uh, turn the other cheek. Okay, now I need to give you a bit of cultural uh, understanding of what's transpiring. Uh, in, the, in the first century, when someone slaps you, they used the back of their hand, and they used the right hand. They didn't use the left hand. Why? Because this was used for hygiene purposes. I will not elaborate. Okay, so... Uh, this hand was not used, except but this hand was. And if you wanted to slap, so it's really important you, you get this, if you wanted to slap, you did a backhand. So you backhand someone on their right cheek. You got it? And then Jesus, he's smart, uh, he says, turn the other cheek. So this person would, would, if they had been slapped on the right cheek, they would turn the cheek such that the backhand couldn't get to the other cheek. The only thing that the backhand would hit would be the, the nose. Did you get that? (laughs) Try it out on the person next to you. Yeah, if I slap you here, and you turn the cheek, that's right. Did you get that? Yeah. Have you got it? Yeah. Thank you. Oh, here we go. Okay. So, no, honestly, if you, uh, if some, if the backhand goes to the right cheek and you turn the other cheek, all you're going to hit is. You can't get to the nose if you're just doing a backhand with your right hand. You're just going to hit the nose. Now, this is really important, because what Jesus is saying there is that, look, take the initiative away from the person that is in front of you. In other words, act subversively. You see, so what Jesus is getting at here is that if you've got someone who's in front of you and they are acting aggressively, don't go to reaction, don't go to inaction, do nothing, lie down and let them walk all over you. Rather go to counteraction, but your counteraction must be such that you a sense, diminish the behavior without belittling the person in front of you. You take initiative away from the person in front of you. Did you get that? Now, that is how you love your enemy. You act subversively. You do not act aggressively. You do not act violently, but you act subversively. You, in a way, take initiative away from them so that they're not just into power and control and setting the agenda. You now have some power, but it has been used wisely. That is to love your enemy. So, for example, the next example that Jesus used was he said, look, if someone takes you to court, yes, give them this cloak and then give them your other cloak. Now, in the first century, no one wore undies. So if you do give them your second cloak, you are rendered what? Naked. naked. Now, in Jewish culture, if you're standing before a crowd naked like a courtroom, who is shamed in that process? The other person. The person, the other person who rendered you naked. So another... Again, you've acted subversively. You have actually taken power away from the person who's being aggressive. Like the one, the next example, when Jesus said, Look, if a Roman soldier forces you to go one mile, by the law of the land, a Roman soldier could do that. The packs were about 87 pounds, they had mile markers on the road. And then what does Jesus say? Go the second mile. In other words, you're making it more difficult and awkward for the person who is being aggressive. But you in that act are not acting violently. But you are acting subversively. That is what it means to love your enemy. It's not inaction. It's not reaction. It's counteraction. Tell the person next to you what you thought of that. So um, someone just asked a very good question why the second mile it was against Roman law, soldiers could ask anybody to take their packs for one mile but but by you going a second mile you have placed that soldier in an awkward position yeah. so counteractions so that you diminish
0: the behaviour without diminishing the something
1: no without acting aggressively so you can in a sense you're, you're you're taking power away. Um, yeah, that's the best way I can put it. Yeah. But you're not rendering, rendering them powerless, but you are taking some power away because um, they are misusing power. Yes, okay. Uh, another question? I just
0: wanted to share a one-day story.
1: Yeah. That's okay. Can you do it cut-down version? Cut-down. Yeah, a friend of mine
0: in intention or reality intention Alice, they just shift you from compound to compound. Um, <laughs>
1: That is a brilliant illustration. Thank you, friend. I like that. Yeah, absolutely. So so let me just kind of concretise this a little bit. So, for example, you know, we've had Tony Campolo here to surrender. I don't know if you've heard of Tony. But, like, there was a time when he was at school, and some of you may have heard me tell this story. I think I tell it better than Tony. But, um... <laughs> um and, um... And uh, Tony was at school and um, there was a guy by the name of Roger. And um, Roger in his last year of school came out and as, um, as a practising homosexual. And um, from that moment on, Roger came in for so much abuse at school. Uh, verbal, relational, emotional and so on. And then it, and then it got violent. And the way it, w- it became violent for Roger... And so Tony was on the schoolyard with all the, you know... Um, but in this particular incident that I'm about to tell you, Roger was not, I mean, uh, Tony was not a participant. Um, but um, they did compulsory sports at the school, and you all had to shower off after um, sport. And so all the boys were in the shower room, and Roger was there, the guy who came out. And then the boys encircled Roger. They turned off the shower taps... And then the boys proceeded to all urinate uh, on Roger, who was in a kind of a fetal position uh, on the ground. All the boys then, uh, you know, got dressed, left. Uh, Roger showered, got dressed. He went home, sat quietly at the dinner table with his parents. And then when his parents were sound asleep later that night, Roger went down to the basement and he suicided. Now, when Tony Campolo heard about that incident, that was the day that Tony realized that he wasn't a Christian. What Tony says in that was that if he had been a genuine Christ follower, then on the schoolyards, Tony would have taken initiative. He would have acted subversively. I call this the ethic of initiative taking and he would have put his arm around roger when he was being bullied and said don't you touch him he's my friend do you see what i mean so 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 that is kind of a picture of there were bullies and they were the enemy and but tony could have in the face of those bullies taken some form of initiative But he realised that he hadn't because he didn't want to lose his friends. And so it was that day he realised that he wasn't really a Christ follower. Another example is that I was speaking somewhere in New Zealand. And um, while I was speaking, the main TV channel and their camera people came storming into where I was speaking and they started filming me. And I, you know, my ego... I just thought to myself as they were filming me, they must have heard I was in town. (laughs) And, uh, And then they proceeded to film elsewhere, and then they left. And then after the meeting, I said to the people who had invited me, why the filming? And they said, haven't you heard? And I said, heard what? And they said, haven't you heard that in this town we are making protest as a church community? I said, protesting against what? They said, there is a doctor in this town. And this doctor got really deeply upset with the, uh, the, um, the health sector. And in his upsetness, the doctor morphed, reinvented his health clinic into a brothel. And so we are protesting vocally, loudly, with placards against the doctor and the ladies of the night. And I went to bed that night deeply disturbed. Went to my next speaking assignment with that church the following morning, and I said, "Look, do you mind if I get a little bit provocative? It doesn't. It's not really my normal use, but um, but do you mind if I get a little bit?" And I said, "But why not turn your hostility into hospitality?" And in Instead of seeing the doctor as your enemy, invite him to your homes for dinner. Are you with me here? In other words, countercultural, counteraction, being subversive. You know, I chanced upon this brilliant story of a guy called Will Campbell. He was caught up in the racist um, uh, riots around Martin Luther King and so on in America. And he was marching with Martin Luther King, um, but but the Ku Klux Klan were violent against Martin Luther King and the other marchers. But there was this Christ follower by the name of Will Campbell. And when some of the key leaders of the Ku Klux Klan were arrested and were on trial, Where was Will Campbell? He was sitting right next to the leader of the Ku Klux Klan, Sam Bowers, and helping him through his trial. Not defending him. He was an evil man. But he had come alongside him. So he was going from Martin Luther King to Sam Bowers, back to Martin Luther King, to Sam Bowers. He was acting subversively, counterculturally. It was counteraction. I think it's just brilliant. Is that right? Now, I have to ask a question. Because um, I do think actually in center-left circles, we're very selective on who enemy is. And some people, wouldn't, some people wouldn't want to get alongside that doctor. And some people wouldn't want to get alongside Sam Bowers. You know, they're willing to get alongside other people, but not these people. But I think the whole parable of the Good Samaritan just turns all that upside down. So, um, anyway, have you got an enemy? Do we have enemies in Australia? Do you have enemies? I worry about it. Um, we just come from a place where we haven't been using yeah. transport. It's not yeah. Yeah. We now live in uh, Melbourne, and, yeah. we want, and we want to keep transport. And I'm, I'm aware that every time I get on a, a bus or a, a train, that there might be um, an example of having to step in and protect a child from um, bullying. It seems to happen. Yes. Yes. You know, it, do, it, is, it does consume it. Yes. really are dedicated to public transport. And yes. Everybody's a, a ability to access public transport. Yes. And these scenarios seem to happen very often. Okay, so the issue of bullying uh, yeah, in Australia. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do we have enemies here? Because that is a big word. Like in Jesus' day, the enemy was obviously Rome, the Roman Empire. So you had definite, genuine oppressors who acted aggressively and cruelly. But do we have enemies? Or do we have people in this country who are difficult and different? Because you know, like, sometimes when you label a lot of people enemy, you diminish that term. It's like when, you know, if I use another example, people now call stress and anxiety burnout. So the term burnout has been diminished I mean, burnout is a category, but we're the, we all suffer burnout. Do you know what I mean? I mean, so my question is, do we have enemies? H- have a little talk. So where I'm up to on this one, is it actually, and I only thought about this this morning, maybe we do. I mean, if someone attacks us, verbally, relationally, if someone betrays us, you know, if someone wounds us, I mean, in one sense I guess we could call them enemy, is that right? So if you don't, am I right? You know, someone betrays, attacks, wounds, however that attack or wound comes. so. and so therefore we're tempted to render the person in front of us enemy so if you don't mind me morphing into a little bit like dr. Phil um, if that is the case look I do commend and I've hinted at it before that we make as a practice bereavement work so I'm wanting to suggest solution side here too in other words you know what bereavement work is? It has three parts to it. So if you have been attacked, you've been wounded, you've been betrayed, however that comes to you, and you're tempted to see the other person as enemy, then you do need to do bereavement work. Now what that involves is first memory work. In other words, you, if that happened five years ago, you need to name it. If it happened 16 years ago, you need to name it and call it what it is. So that's calling to memory that which has happened to you. I mean, look, please hear. Every single person in this room, you carry a bag slung over your shoulders. And that bag contains your history. And I make it a spiritual practice of mine three or four times a year to dip my hands into my bag that contains my history and deal to the bits and pieces of my past. I mean, the best way I can illustrate this is telling you a story. And there was this stretch of water and there were two monks and they came across the stretch of water and there was a damsel in distress. And the older monk said to the damsel, my dear, why are you in distress? And she said, I want to get across the stretch of water without getting my feet wet. And the older monk said, no problema. So he picked her up and clutched her to his chest. And he said to the younger monk, come on. So they walked across the water. They got to the other side. He let her down. And then he said to the younger monk, come on, let's get to the monastery. They got to the gates of the monastery. And just as they were to walk through, the younger monk said to the older monk, naughty, 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 you know, we're not meant to pick up girls like that. And the older, wise, sage-like monk said to the younger monk, isn't it strange? I picked her up and carried her across the water, and you're carrying her still. And there are people in this room, and you are still carrying stuff from four years ago, 16 years ago. And if you do not do bereavement work on that, a part of you will turn to ice. You read the story of Michael and David, and I believe that, I mean, she got unfairly treated. There were abusive men in her life. She had every right to be angry. But I think she settled in her sadness and she got stuck in her suffering. And when that ever happens to someone, a part of them turns to ice, such that they are only 60% present to other people. And even in their most intimate scenes with significant others in their lives, other people can tell that they're not 100% fully present to the moment. Because it's the part of them that has turned to ice. And so a meltdown needs to occur. And so if someone has attacked, wounded or betrayed you, and you're tempted to frame them as enemy, you need to do this memory work. And that means, secondly, you do grievance work, where you allow yourself to come into the feelings of hate. And you give yourself permission to weep. And you do the clench fist thing again. Because, you see, if you don't make space in your soul for sorrow, your soul will do hate work. Did you get that? So you have to allow space in your soul for sorrow. But then you can't stay there, as I've just talked about. You have to then do grief work. And grief work is the practice of relinquishment, allowing these things to be like autumn leaves in your life, letting go. So I think there are enemies, but they come in different form than, say, the Roman soldier in Jesus' day. Um, So that's what I'd say on that. I don't know if if you didn't mind me doing a little bit of Dr. Phil there Um, But I think that is important work. But just to finish, um, uh, back to this motif of taking um, initiative. Look, if there are people in our lives who are enemy or difficult or different, some of the things that I have learned to do, and I've covered this in my recent book, which is called Alongsiders, That's on a number of the tables in the big auditorium, Um, but what I've learned to do here is is um, one thing that I would say is um, look, please, people, if you've got someone who you are framed like enemy, suspend judgment on the person in front of you. The social research tells us. That we human beings between 2.2 and 4.6 seconds quickly and subconsciously uh, sum up the person in front of us. I mean, I think you've heard the story of a guy and his little children in tow. They got onto a train, true story. And as the train took off, the kids acted out horrendously in the train. A whispering campaign started up in the carriage. What a terrible dad. Where's the mum? And look you know, look at those, those kids. And it got so loud, this is a true story, that the father, after about an hour, stood up and spoke to the whole carriage. And he said to them, One hour we came from the hospital, and their mother, she died. In other words... Uh, when we have enemy in front of us, a secret is to keep our minds open to an alternative explanation of why they are, who they are, and what they've just done. Now I know that's hard, but to keep our minds open, because to prematurely judge even an enemy is to damage the enemy did you get that so that's just a little thing that i have if i am interacting with enemy another thing another practice that i do is that i want to be at my cerebral best with the enemy in other words i want to be at my thinking best but i don't know if you've heard the story but there was um, a monkey, and this monkey was, you know, hanging from a branch, and there was flooded water down, and, this, and the monkey noticed a little fish that was in a perilous state because of the flood. So the monkey, being of kind heart, reached down and grasped this fish, and then went to the shore, and then laid the fish out on dry ground. <laughs> And, 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 the, and the monk, I mean, the little fish, it started to, you know, manifest excitable, um, it was in an excitable state, and then settled into a peaceful rest. And the monkey looked at this fish and said to himself, and just, you know, feelings of deep satisfaction swelled up, I have helped another creature, you know. And you see, Christians are like that. <laughs> Christians are like the monkey. You know, even with enemy, we think that, you know, we can be such well-intentioned people, but totally ignorant of the person who is in front of us. So, what I commend to you is, is to be at your cerebral best, even with people that you dislike intensely. And what that means is that you may have to do a little bit of research in and around the web of disadvantage that they are caught up in. Now, I don't know how you, you do your thinking best stuff. I know how I do it. When I was, became a Christ follower in my early 20s, I started two practices. And one, the first practice was, like, for example, if I was at the dentist and I saw a great article in a magazine while I was waiting to be drilled, I ripped that article out of the magazine. It was for the public, so I ripped it out, and I got a manila folder, and I put it in a manila folder, and I called the artic- the manila folder depression, if it- the article was on depression. And it got to a point where I had one box, two box, three boxes full of manila folders on all manner of topics around what people get caught up in in terms of their web of disadvantage. It then got to a point where I needed a two-draw filing cabinet, then a four-draw, then another 4 drawer then another four-draw. I tell not a lie, another four-draw, and then another 4 drawer Slightly obsessive-compulsive, but uh, but I, and then so I, and now I still do that. I still do that. I have electronic files, files, but I still do that. And then secondly, um, I I don't know if you do this when I started reading books. Um, I create an index at the back of the book. Because you know what it's like when you're reading a book and you chance upon something you really like. You think, I'll never forget it.
0: <laughs> but you
1: do. So I have this index at the back of every book that I read. And I'll put, say, fear page 23. And then i got got cards. And I'll put fear at the top of the card. Author's name, title of book, page number. And so I have electronic cards now. And I've done that since... I mean, for over 40 years. And it all came to fruition. I'll just give you this, and I tell this story often. But there was one young woman, and she said, Mick, can we have a chat? And I said, fine. And we met at a cafe. I hadn't met her before. And she just said to me, Mick, she says, I'm Christian, and I'm a lesbian. And so I don't know what you would say at that point, but the first thing that I said at that point was, I'd love genuinely to hear your story. So she told me her story. And she, it was such a long story, I had to be somewhere else. And I said, look, I'm sorry, I've got to go. And she said, what? And I said, look, I'm sorry, I've got to be somewhere. I've got to give a class somewhere. And um, she said, can we meet same time, same place next week? So I said, fine. So what was I doing between the two coffees? I went to my folder on lesbianism, and I went to my index card on lesbianism. And so when I got back to her, I asked knowing questions. And she knew that I was knowing and wise. So what did she say next? Can we have another coffee, Nick? (laughs) Do you get this? So in a sense, you become the go-to people. And Jesus was a go-to guy. Even by people who may be scared of what you think, or you may be scared of what they think and do. Did you get this? A last practice that I do is the the practice of positive attribution. In other words, I don't know. When Jesus saw people, even enemy, what did he see? Do you know what I think he saw? He took his glasses off, as it were and he just looked at these people and he thought wow another one of my father's children in other words an evil action does not erase the image of God that has been stamped on that individual in front of you and therefore as John Calvin said if the person in front of you has been stamped with the image of God, then that image of God compels everything from you. Did you like that? So those are just some of the little practices that I employ. I don't know if they're helpful. Um, If you did have a question what it would be, tell the person next to you. Go to it. Okay guys, um just to wrap this up Um any questions about anything? I've got a race I've got a I'm getting a ride soon. So yes, my friend. Um I guess I just had a question and I don't know how it's relevant or anything, but something that's in my mind is I said it this morning, but um in scripture obviously the
0: devil is the ultimate enemy.
1: Yes. No. I mean Jesus said that we're to love our enemies. Yeah, I, I we're having a great time with sound this morning. Um, uh, I, I think there are some enemies that yes are ours, like the Satan. But we're told to resist evil, and wherever Jesus saw evil, especially demonic evil, I mean, so he becomes our exemplar and model. He did not ever entertain um, either emotions or practices of. <laughs> um, um, even forgiveness, even even hospitality, even conversation, yeah. there was rather banishment, yeah. and so I think that's a different category. Yeah. So there are categories of enemy. Yeah. Uh, the Satan. I mean, the working definition of evil is someone who seeks to disadvantage the already disadvantaged. And the Satan is that. The Satan is so... It's almost like an implosion has occurred inside where the Satan is irredeemable and will will be cast into that fire that Revelation talks about. So I don't I don't traffic in any way with that entity except banishment. Yeah. yeah. And Jesus modelled that. Yeah. But but with others, there was forgiveness. Yeah. That's a very good question. Uh, yes.
0: Acting in a subversive way in yeah. various situations is going to be different. Yes. Have, can you give us any kind of help or suggestions about working out what
1: that's going to look Well, it's like. a bit like Tony. He could have stood with okay. Roger. Jesus in John chapter 8 with the woman who'd been caught in adultery. It's beautiful. He stood in public solidarity with her but then later on he didn't minimize her sin. In a sense, he, he was a good lefty and he was a good righty. The right want to draw attention to the sin issue and the left want to stand in public solidarity with those who are being discriminated against. Jesus did both. So that's a form of initiative and and those that were willing to throw the stones, they all walked away. So Jesus took initiative away from them. So yeah, to do this thing, you have to be intuitive, creative, imaginative, and therein lies the fun.
0: <laughs>
1: and some of you look as though you do need more fun in your lives. So, so no, you've got to be creative. Mahatma Gandhi was a master at this thing. Now, he didn't do it as a Christ follower, but, but he did see this, this thing about taking initiative away, and so he did salt marches. Now, that's very creative. And by that, he acted subversively, and the British, this empire, could do nothing. You've got to be creative. Yeah. Well, what Shane Clainborn did. Now, remember, there's no win. There's not necessarily win here. We're not talking about Hollywood endings, and I know you're not talking about that. But what Shane Claiborne did, he thought, well, I don't want to act aggressively. So, I mean, this is in terms of Iraq, not ISIS. But, but there is a parallel, and it was the Americans in that instance who were going in. So Shane Claiborne, as an American, you probably know this, he bought a ticket to Iraq, and as the bombs were dropping, he stood under the bombs. Now, America still toppled Iraq. Um, but there, that was just an example of a Christian who it was an act of daring initiative. Um, I haven't faced ISIS, I don't know. What's
0: the point of standing under
1: a bomb? He just wanted to be in solidarity with those, especially civilians, because America, his country, his country, was saying this is a just war. And if you've looked at the tenets of just war, non-combatant immunity. In other words, we will do everything that we can to minimize civilian damage. The Americans were not doing that in Iraq. So he thought, whether you agree with him or not, he will go and be in the house of a civilian and be in public solidarity with civilians. Jesus stood in public solidarity with a woman who had been caught in the very act of adultery that the law of the land said at that time she should be stoned. We went to the slums of Manila to live in solidarity with the very poor that other people were neglecting. When the authorities saw a white middle-class family from New Zealand living in a plywood shack with the very poor, our action drew attention to that slum. Never underestimate the subversiveness of solidarity. And when Jesus, when God chose to incarnate and to jump into this puddle, it was an act of solidarity. And look at what has resulted.
0: It's
1: incredible. That was passionate, wasn't it?
0: <laughs> Final. Yeah, um, this is, um I think sometimes enemies define themselves by their enemy. You know, so, yes. this, so
1: the Liberal Party this is Australia, mm. so Labor Labour Liberal, yeah. And off there's there's yeah.
0: Greens. All of a sudden, Labour's saying we're doing a deal with these people, and they say well, we can't, we can't, we can't get alongside Labor, or Liberal can't get on. They're our
1: enemy. Yeah. But
0: there's these other people doing yeah. this other stuff. So it's it's the defining
1: yourself yeah. against. Yeah. But that's what I like about the emerging generation because I've often used left and right and so forth and so on, and those are baby boomer categories. But what I like about the emerging generation is that in some of you here are not ideologically liberal or ideologically, do you know what I mean, um, labour or ideologically, but rather you are more issue dependent. So on some issues you'll be on the left and other issues you'll be on the right. And I just love that about the emerging generation. So God bless you, and I've got to go. Uh, Bless you.
0: This was one of many conversations recorded live at Surrender 16. We hope you found this podcast inspiring and thought-provoking. Please check in with us at surrender.org.au for more resources and opportunities to engage and connect with our wider movement.